When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ever walked by a shelf in your local bookstore full of books wrapped in brown paper? Those are blind dates with books where you buy a book without knowing the title, the cover, the author, or anything. And it's a great way to discover to discover new books you might never have picked up for yourself. We're giving away five blind dates with books. I am going to go to my local indie in Richmond called Chop Suey and pick five at random off their shelves to mail to five random winners. To enter to win your own blind date with a book, go to bookriot.com slash blind date and sign up for our upcoming Read This Book newsletter, where we will send you a single solitary book recommendation once a week. That's bookriot.com slash blind date to enter, or you could just go see if your local indie participates with their own blind date bookshelves. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 205, and we are recording on October 29th. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. It's almost Halloween. I carved pumpkins last night. <laughs> That's great. My kid, I have not done that. And the boys yesterday when we were coming home from soccer practice were like, Mom, when are we going to do pumpkins? And I was like, ooh, no. <laughs> I just, I don't feel like it. So we're not going to do that this year. You are free to draw a pumpkin or some such. <laughs> but I just, I just don't feel like it. So terrible. I've never used one of those like patterns before. Mm-hmm. And I used one for the first time last night and it I did turn out really good. I was just like, "Oh, this is interesting. I've never I've never done that before." So, is it I always get really frustrated with how hard this maybe is just cuz my knives aren't good, but like how hard it is to carve into a pumpkin. Like they're thick. Okay. So, <laughs> tell me your secrets. Here's the thing. Yes. Here's the thing. You know those really stupid little pumpkin carving sets that have like the tiny little serrated knives? Mhm. They actually work super well. Like they make it so, I know, I know, I knew you were going to hate that, but it's (laughs) true. It's true. They actually work super well. Like it's the easiest thing in the world. And I'm not just saying this as a grown up. We have, I think Roger must have bought it like six million years ago, but he had Mm. this book of patterns that came with like, you know, the little carving tools. And we used it with his four-year-old nephew and six-year-old niece, and they carved amazing pumpkins. It was totally fine. And, like, I also think they're easy to use. So I hate to break it to you. My, like, Instagram dad spirit that lives within me wants to just use a jigsaw to do it. (laughs) (laughs) But I feel like that would be terrible. Overkill. Overkill. (laughs) Like, I've got one. Why wouldn't I just use that? (laughs) Anyway... No one let me do Don't that. Don't do it, Amanda. So, welcome to the show <laughs> where we have fatal injuries from Halloween. <laughs> yeah. So, this is a show for personalized reading recommendations, as I mentioned. You can send us your reading recommendation requests to email, uh, getbooked at bookriot.com, or you can drop them in the form in the show notes on the site. If your show is to, uh, your show, it's not your show. Well, it's kind of your show. You listen to it. If your question is time sensitive, Please put that in the subject line uh, or in big letters uh, in the first line if you're using the form so we can get to it on time. We might email you back if we're not going to get to it in time or if we've already answered your question on the air. Okay, we do have some feedback from Scarlett. Scarlett's got a lot of feedback. Scarlett says, I have a few recommendations for Nikita, who is looking for historical fiction set in Greece or Rome. 
Uh, Scarlett says, I'm a classicist, and this is right in my wheelhouse. Um, I first suggest Nikita picks up any book by Mary Renault, who wrote nearly all of her books set in ancient Greece. In particular, she recommends Last of the Wine, um, which is about a boy and a man growing up, going to war, going to the Olympics, and dealing with Socrates, which is cool. Um, it's also queer, as is nearly every Mary Renault book. Um, let's see, what else? Um, if you want books about emperors, there's Memoirs of Hadrian by Margaret Yorsenar, hey, which is about, of course, Hadrian. Um, Gore Vidal also wrote a novel about Julian the Apostate, who was an emperor of Rome who tried to reestablish the old religion and rejected Christianity. That book is called Julian. Finally, I would recommend The Memoirs of Cleopatra by Margaret George. Obviously, you know, it's Egyptian, but her life intersects with Roman politics a lot, so it might be of interest. Margaret George has also written a novel about Nero. Okay, thank you for all of those pieces of feedback. So I'm going to read our first question, and then Jen will tell you our first sponsor, and away we will go. Our first question is from Kate, who says, My dad retired this year and previous to 2019 had never read a book. Like, not even in school. Like, no books. But this year, he started picking up books, three to be exact, and has asked for a book for his birthday. He's not really sure what he likes in books. He read two memoirs about old rock and roll guys and one hyper-local history about the town he grew up in. He's probably not a fiction guy or ready for fiction. I mean, it's such a clean slate, I'm overwhelmed by where to go. He likes classic cars, late-night TV, SNL, Will Ferrell senses of humor. He worked in television for 40 years, and he's local to Cleveland and Portland, Maine. Not into politics. Um, as a side note, I'm planning on getting him Kinship Confidential because I mentioned it to him and he thought it sounded fun. All right, Jen. Go, go, Gadget Sponsor. Yay! So before we talk about literal dad books, <laughs> I want to talk about Ordinary Girls by Jakira Diaz, which is now available from Algonquin Books. This is on my TBR pile. I'm super interested in it. It is a debut memoir, and it's been one of the most anticipated books of the year, according to lots of places, uh, including Time and BuzzFeed and Oprah Magazine and Bustle and The Rumpus, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and it is about her childhood and then coming of age in Puerto Rico and Miami Beach. So Jakira's family split apart. Her mother struggled with schizophrenia and addiction, and her own life was upended by violence and sexual assault. And she was searching for support for her development development of her sexual identity. Uh, so there's a lot going on here, obviously. Uh, Jakira Diaz has dealt with a ton of things in her life. And this is one of those beautiful, lyrically written memoirs about finding a way out of despair towards love and hope um, and how she became the version of the girl she always wanted to be. So, you know, she's documenting the culture of homophobia that can persist within the Puerto Rican and Latinx communities. Um, she's written a lot. She's been published uh, essays and such in Rolling Stone, The Guardian, New York Times Style Magazine, and she's the recipient of two Pushcart Prizes. And this is getting rave reviews from people like Julia Alvarez and Sandra Cisneros and is listed as for fans of Tara Westover's Educated, Kisa Lyman's Heavy, Mary Carr's The Liars Club, Jeanette Wall's The Glass Castle, and Allison Bechtel's Fun Home. Lots of good comps there. So if that sounds interesting to you, like it does to me, you're going to want to check it out. Again, that's Ordinary Girls by Jakira Diaz, now available from Algonquin Books. All right. Dad books. Dad books. So I picked Bossy Pants by Tina Fey because your dad likes SNL and late night TV and a Will Ferrell sense of humor, which Tina Fey kind of a little bit has. Um, and since he worked in TV uh, for 40 years, I think he's going to be uh, really interested in all the behind the scenes stuff from Bossy Pants. This is, I mean, it's, it's a bit old. It came out in 2011, but I don't know that it, you know, 
stories about how awkward it is to work behind the scenes at SNL ever go out of style because they're always horrifying and amazing. Um, so if you know, obviously Tina Fey um, was on Weekend Update was on SNL and she played Sarah Palin really famously. Um, she created the show 30 Rock uh, and was starred in that with Alec Baldwin. And this is kind of a, not kind of, this is a memoir, a comedic memoir. She talks a little bit about her childhood. There's a whole chapter dedicated to her dad, which I think your dad will appreciate. I think it's called that's Don Fay or something like that. Of course, his name is Don. It's like the daddest name that ever dad is. Don. <laughs> Don Fay. Um, so she talks about her childhood and growing up and like wanting to become a comedian. Um, and then her time writing on SNL. Um, a lot of time in, oh, what was that? What was that improv troupe that she was in that Amy Poehler was also in? But like everyone. UCB? Yes, thank you. Um, she talks about that a lot. Um, she's very open about um, how she was mistreated by men in television and in comedy over the years, but not, but in like a really funny, like the best revenge is your paper, that guy can eat my hat kind of a way that's like really entertaining. Um, and of course, she's got tons of stories about working on 30 Rock, lots of behind the scenes uh, looks into, you know, the goofiness of Alec Baldwin, who I would not have assumed was goofy, but just based on, you know, him <laughs> and like his public persona but there are a lot of really great moments that she talks about working with him um and i had never you know this was, bossy pants was the first book that i ever read about um working in television and i've read a few since then by mindy kaling um and amy poehler has written one also any of those would probably be um great gifts for your dad but this one since when tina wrote this i think she's like you know she's a little bit older than the people who wrote those other books and snl is such a solid like pop culture touchstone that's been around for so long uh, for like decades that uh, i think somebody who's been in tv for as long as your dad was in tv will really appreciate the stories um that tina Fey is is telling about such a like staid cultural television institution so that's bossy pants by tina Fey. oh if your dad can tolerate audiobooks she reads the audiobook and it's amazing yeah yeah, speaking of audio, this is kind of a book recommendation by way of a podcast. <laughs> so someone recently introduced me to Alan Alda's podcast, Clear and Vivid, which like, if you had been like, do you want to listen to a podcast by Alan Alda about communication? I would have been like, no. Um, but having listened to several episodes, it is fascinating and he's a really good interviewer and he interviews people like Isabella Allende and like but also like Sarah Silverman and just it's a really interesting you know a range of guests it's very strange and all he's talking about with them is like how do you communicate successfully with people about whatever it is that you want to communicate about and then like so here's where we get to the book recommendation part of this he has this book called if I understood you would I have this look on my face which is an amazing title uh, subtitle my adventures in the art of science and science of relating and communicating so in addition to being an actor on mash which like obviously he also was the host of a show called scientific American frontiers in which he basically made science accessible and talked to scientists and like helped make their work more accessible to viewers and so this book is about him like figuring out how to you know, turn that information into something accessible, into something clear, into something that's, you know, communicable. And like, he talks about like improv games and storytelling and like how to tap into your own ability to register whether or not somebody else is actually understanding you. Um, and so I think it's a bunch of interesting things. Like it's sciencey. It's 
television-y. It's, you know, contemporary issues a little bit, although this, I mean, the podcast is. This book, yeah, they came out in 2017, so pretty recent. Um, And it's like, sort of like everybody's like TV dad looking at all of these issues. So I think he'd be really interested in it. And I think he might enjoy the podcast also, um, if that's a thing that he could get on board with. So again, that's If I Understood You, Would I Have This Look on My Face by Alan Alda. That's the book. And the podcast is Clear and Vivid with Alan Alda. That's such a good title. It's so good, right? It's so good. I love it. He's he's really funny. <laughs> um, and I grew up watching MASH, so I have mm. you know, uh, a fondness in my heart for him. Okay, so our next question is from Diana, who has a sensitive ask. Uh, says, my cousin recently confided in me that she has started the transition from male to female. She's in her early 30s, so transition has some unique obstacles, and she has been open about her past struggles with depression and anxiety. So far, family has been accepting, as she has slowly confided in various family members, but I'm worried about some of our more religious family. I've been looking for books to help me support her as an ally. I've read some intersectional feminist works, Janet Mock and Whipping Girl by Julia Serrano, but I would like book recommendations more focused on transitioning later in life. I'm hoping for nonfiction, but we'll take fiction as well. I'm a pharmacist, so I'm also open to something more academic slash scientific. I'm just going to keep talking. So my primary recommendation for you, although it's not exactly, it is what you're asking for, but it's not exactly what you're asking for, is Sorted, Growing Up, Coming Out, and Finding My Place by Jackson Bird. And that's S-O-R-T-E-D. I just realized I'm not sure I can tell the difference between like the other Sorted and this one when I say it out loud. But yes, so Jackson Bird transitioned in his late 20s. And obviously he, you know, transitioned to male. So not the same exact thing. But this book is written specifically both to hold up a mirror for other transgender folks who struggled with uh, similar kinds of dysphoria and, you know, depression, anxiety that he did, but also Every chapter, almost every other page, has a little sidebar that like talks about terminology and pronouns and, you know, surgeries and, and is really oriented towards people who want to understand who are not going through this themselves. So it's, it's a hugely amazing tool for allies. I learned, I mean, I feel like I, you know, I have friends in the trans community and the LGBT community, and I consider myself pretty, you know, uh, aware of this stuff, but I learned so much and it was so helpful. And also, he's just so frank about his confusion as a child and then as, you know, as he came of age and went off to college and just really struggled with everything in his life and how his transition, you know, helped play a part in getting him to where he wanted to be as a person. Uh, I just think it's so good and it's so clear and it's so helpful. uh, And I think it will really help you and other people who you are concerned about, like they're just not going to get it. Like this is the book that I would hand to somebody who's like, I just don't get it. Like, this is the book. This is the book. Um, And then just with a side of like, but you asked specifically for, you know, a transition to female in later life. And so Jennifer Finney Boylan's She's Not There, A Life in Two Genders is specifically about her transition when she was already married and, you know, then transitioned to Jenny and like what that was like. So that's a pretty intense upheaval. So again, the first book is Sorted by Jackson Bird. And then the second one was She's Not There by Jennifer Finney Boylan.
I asked the contributors um, for help with this one, and Jess, who was actually was a contributor but is now on our sales team, recommended um, Love Lives Here, A Story of Thriving in a Transgender Family by Amanda Jett Knox. And this is a memoir, and it is about a woman who is not transgender. She is cis and had a very difficult childhood, and you get a little bit of that beginning, but then she gets married super young at like 20, has three kids. And then her, one of her children at 11 tells her that they would, that they are transitioning. And so that's something that she has no experience with whatsoever, does not know how to handle. And then her spouse says the same thing. So now she's got two family members who were trans and that is not anything that the author grew up with any familiarity with or any idea of how to handle or anything like that. And so the thing that I, when I talked to Jess about this, she made it very clear that like, this is a book by a cis woman, right? And she does talk a lot about the ways that she messed up in both of, in responding to both of these situations. Um, but it's also, she think that Jess said like useful specifically to give to cis people who are, tra- who have family members who are coming out to them that they like, just don't know what to say. Um, or like, don't know how to like the right language to use or how to how to remind themselves like to stop misgendering that person or any number of things and so coming from a cis woman who has dealt with this a few times in her life uh and has really figured out like the best not the best but like has figured out how to like be a person you know (laughs) like how to respond to these situations with as much compassion and humanity um and love as possible um and actually like be an ally to her family members um i don't it's just I was hesitant to recommend a book about this coming from a cis person, but I think that in this specific situation, when you are a cis person, um, trying to avoid landmines and also like be helpful and not be a jerk and like be supportive and loving to a family member, um, who is transitioning, then having talking to somebody or reading a book by somebody who has gone through that exact same experience, uh, I think can, can have its uses. So that's Love Lives Here, a story of thriving in a transgender family by Amanda Jett Knox. Okay, question three is from Sam, who says, my English... <laughs> I forgot about this question. <laughs> so good. I love it's this so question good. so much. My English teacher said that if we put in a request here, we would get extra credit. <laughs> We're in obnoxious class, and she loves this podcast, so I thought I'd err on the side of caution. You've responded to a request of hers in an episode before. Her name is Kirsten. She was the one with the weird book list. I love how Sam thinks that there's the one with the weird right. book list. Like, right. one we get every every week. I also would like a book recommendation because my bookshelf has been read and reread numerous times over. Some of my favorite books are The Hobbit, The Lord of the Rings, Chronicles of Narnia, Ender's Game, and those weird Star Trek novels William Shatner wrote. <laughs> also, if you have any strange out-of-place books that don't really have a spot on bookshelves, that would be awesome, too. All right, Jen, you go. I I love this question so much. <laughs> and also, it's like reading like my past self. I'm like, oh, look, those were the books. Except minus the weird Star Trek novels, which I was not aware of, but probably would have read had I been aware of them. Mm-hmm. Um, 100. So, so, Sam, I don't know how old you are, but if you have read Ender's Game, you should be fine with the book I am picking, which is Gods of Jade and Shadow by Silvia Moreno-Garcia, this year's obsession of mine. <laughs> um, it comes with trigger warnings for family violence and self-harm, but it's self-harm not because of depression or anxiety, but as like a response to the quest. It's weird. Anyway, the point is, this book is amazing. It is an epic quest. A young woman gets sent on a life-changing, harrowing journey by the Mayan god of death through Jazz Age Mexico. 
It's fantastic. Uh, Cassiopeia Tun is the sort of poor relation um, in her grandfather's house. He's very wealthy. Her cousin is like the heir to the family, whatever, and is a total jerk to her. The grandfather is like abusive towards everyone, yells at everyone, and is just a nightmare. Um, and she and her mother live here because, you know, her father's dead and she just doesn't have that. This is their option. This is their option. So she does, you know, housework and caretaking and all of that stuff and just is dreaming of how to get out. And she has not been broken by this situation, but it doesn't help that when she pushes back, like things get worse. So it's a very bad day and everybody has gone off to have fun without her. And she finds this box in her grandfather's room. And so she opens it just to see what's inside. Whoops. And there is the spirit of the Mayan god of death has been locked in the box. Sure. And is now, like, going to send her off on a quest to help him regain his throne. And it's amazing because it's so atmospheric. It's so interesting. I love this combination of magic and a historical time period that I'm not very familiar with. And Cassiopeia has such an amazing and fascinating journey. And it twists and turns in ways I was not expecting. And I just loved it so much. Loved it so much. And I think, like, it's got all of the elements of other books that you love, but is a completely different kind of thing, which I think you will really enjoy. So again, that is Gods of Jade and Shadow by Silvia Moreno-Garcia. Okay, I picked the Wayward Children series by Shannon McGuire, which is kind of my Swiss army wreck for people who tell me they like C.S. Lewis or <laughs> the Lord of the Rings, really. It doesn't have much in common with Lord of the Rings, except for like, I don't know, big questions and beasties and stuff. Anyway, but yeah, definitely a, a Narnia comp. So um, Eleanor West's Home for Way- Wayward Children is like a boarding school where kids come after they have returned from other portal worlds um, and been, you know, um, shunted back to the real world. And this is exactly like the kids who go to Narnia, you know, any number of stories where kids have fallen through little portholes, peepholes, closets, wardrobes, whatever, and found themselves in magical other lands. Sometimes they come home and they can't find their way back to the magical world and they don't want to be back in the real world because they spent so much time in wherever it was that they went that they no longer really know how to function in like quote-unquote real world situations so these kids go to eleanor west home uh, the first book in the series is called every heart a doorway which i should probably mention um and the main character nancy has spent did she go she went like she found a a trunk i think she went through like a magical trunk and ended up in her world um and she spent has spent years and years in the underworld basically the world that she found herself in um was death and she has learned to like wear no colors make no noise she doesn't deal well with sunlight she doesn't speak much uh, because why would you everyone's dead where she was and so she's come home or come back to the real world and her parents have have taken her to this um boarding school because they just like don't know what to do with her and of course nobody believes you when you say well i wasn't kidnapped i've just spent the last 10 years you know in death is fine (laughs) that's not a thing that people believe when you say to them and so she gets there and she starts trying to readjust or maybe or actually find her way back um and while she's there the kid some of the other children well well, they're teenagers some of the other kids who were there start dying and then it the book turns into like this closed locked room mystery where you know it's got to be somebody in the house and a lot of these kids spent their childhood growing up in places that were very violent because not all fantasy worlds where they end up are like 
nice or fun. Some of them are very dark or violent or dangerous. And so it could be any number of them who are um, committing these crimes or maybe like someone has snuck onto the property or maybe it was one of the teachers or maybe someone was followed when they came back from a, wor- a world and like a monster is in the house. You don't know. Um, and so every book in the series, you're following a, dis- a different uh, character who from the, the school, whether it's like their backstory, how they ended up in their their world or whatever. Um, but it is, it's like Narnia, but edgier um without the like christian undertones uh it's also a super diverse cast of characters and who doesn't love a mystery on halloween so every harder doorway by shannon mcguire all right our next question appropriately is from katie who says happy spoopy season yes happy spoopy season to you all uh i'm looking for recommendations for fiction with ghosts as main slash significant characters or fiction about ghost hunting i really enjoyed city of ghosts by v.e schwab and i'm interested in reading other books like it i'm open to ya and adult fiction although i tend to prefer ya most of the time All right. So I picked for you The Name of the Star, which is the first book in the Shades of London series by Maureen Johnson. And I think this is very sort of classically spoopy. It's very funny, but also kind of scary in certain moments because it is about sort of a Jack the Ripper killing spree in contemporary London. The main character, Rory, is from Louisiana, and she is now going to boarding school in London. So that's like a big fish out of water situation. But Rory is very like kind of silly and uh, is, you know, coping as best she can. Um, And she has recently had a near death experience. And she does not realize, but then suddenly she does, that she's seeing people that nobody else can see, including, like, the man who she believes is responsible for this current killing spree that has broken out across the city and in the neighborhood of the school. But she's the only person who saw him. And it turns out she's the only one who can see him. So now she is a target and she has to, like, figure out how to harness her new ghost seeing abilities. And then, of course, there's a secret society that she gets inducted into the London Ghost Police. (laughs) It's so much fun. Um, And it's really kind of... There's a lot of... like There's a romance that is not concluded in this first volume, so then you're going to want to read the next ones. Uh, And there's some action, and there's some supernatural stuff, and then there's some really lovely friend moments. Like, I will never forget the sequence where they're having a Halloween party, and she, like... There's, like, some cultural confusion about, like, who people are dressing up as. It's very entertaining. Uh, So, again, that's The Name of the Star. It's the first in the Shades of London series by Maureen Johnson. Okay, I picked The Afterlife of Holly Chase by Cynthia Hand for you, which is also very spoopy. Like, it is a ghost story. Um, It's a retelling of, oh gosh, oh no, my brain, Charles Dickens, Christmas. Ah, a Christmas Carol. Hey! <laughs> that, that was a whole thing, y'all just You got there, though. You got there. <laughs> so this is a retelling of the Christmas Carol, uh, of a Christmas Carol, uh, YA modern day. So the main character's name is Holly. On Christmas Eve, five years before the book opens, she was visited by, as you can imagine, the three ghosts, um, Christmas past, present, and future, to tell her how like selfish and terrible she was and to convince her to become a better person, which she didn't do, and then she died. And so her afterlife is spent working for a top secret company called Project Scrooge, where she sometimes is like one of the ghosts, sometimes she like is running the behind the scenes. And Project Scrooge is like this undercover operation that puts on what is essentially this production of the three ghosts involving everything from like, it's got magical elements, of course, because they're dead, but there's also like lightscape 
capes and costumes and she has to wear a wig. And in this new year, she has been assigned portraying the ghost of Christmas past. So she's got to wear like just a whole get up with like lights that make her look like an angel and all this kind of stuff. Um, and every year since she has died, she's participated in this saving a miserly, you know, grump from their terrible lives. Um, and so this year they have picked a boy. Can you see where this is going already? <laughs> they have picked a boy. His name is Ethan. Um, and he is, you know, terrible, except every time she interacts with him, he's not terrible. He's like sweet and thoughtful and sad and a little weird. And of course they're both like, filthy rich and so she is starting to question um and get you know like question her whole role in changing his life but also getting more and more worried that if she doesn't do that he's gonna die and then and then she's never gonna see him again and she kind of likes him which is awkward because she's a ghost and like (laughs) what how to kiss have no mouth. Like, what am I supposed to do with this information? Um, but it's just super fun. And it, it's not, I mean, it's spoopy, right? Like, it's it's a ghost story, but there's there's no creep factor here whatsoever. It's so goofy. And it's like, like if the, off, if the office were just dead people and their chores were not selling paper, but were like convincing rich people to stop being the worst, but there were spreadsheets. It's so entertaining. So that's The Afterlife of Holly Chase by Cynthia Hand. Um, how have I never heard of that book before? <laughs> this came, is yeah, amazing. I didn't well, hear much about it. Um, no, I guess it's just like so very specific. You know, it's like a Christmas story. Um, so who who reads it any other time of the year? But yeah, it is kind of an under the radar sort of read, but it's pretty new. Amazing. All right, new sponsor time. Um, so our next sponsor is All This Could Be Yours, which is the new book by Jamie Attenberg. So All This Could Be Yours tackles a really timely subject, that of Me Too, in a fresh, complicated, and really, like, emotionally powerful way. Uh, Jamie's exploring how bad men think like, you know, Weinstein, use and abuse power, and how it infects families for generations. But in this book, she's not giving voice to the abusers at all. Instead, the voice remains with the people affected, the people who work to sustain their lives in spite of everything they have experienced. In this book, she's returning to the multi-generational, multi-voiced story that readers loved in The Middle Steins, which is one of her previous works. Um, she's exploring from all sides how a family is impacted by one man's abuse of power, and each character has a compelling story of their own. It's also set in New Orleans and is like a love letter to this to the setting. Um, and it's Jamie's first book set there after having moved from New York to New Orleans five years ago. And if you don't follow her on Instagram, you really should. Because her mm-hmm. dog is amazing. It's a good dog. That's that's a free plug. That was not in my talking points. <laughs> <laughs> so go check that out. That's all. This could be yours by Jamie Attenberg. It's so good. I loved it. Oh, you've already read it. Oh, oh yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. She's great. All right. Our next question is from Samantha, who says, I'm looking for a read-alike from one of my favorite video games, Secret World Legends. The TLDR is you swallow a bee, wake up with magical powers, and begin fighting paranormal entities for one of three secret societies, including the modern Knights Templar and the Illuminati. It's set in the real world, and you learn a lot about some real-world folklore and mythology while playing it and solving the often difficult investigative missions. I would love something fiction that has this sort of gothic, creepy vibe, or some not dry nonfiction about secret societies or the folklore mythology of New England, Egypt, Transylvania, Japan, or Africa, the places we visit in the game. Okay, I'm going to keep going. Um, I picked The Spellbook of Katrina Von Tassel by Alyssa Palumbo for this question, and this is also a retelling, I guess I'm retelling show today. I don't know. Um, It's a retelling of the Sleepy Hollow story. So I latched onto it because it is gothic and creepy. And it's also um, about like the mythology or folklore of New England, which you said it was one of the places that you were interested in. 
So this is, um, you know, the story of Ichabod Crane, but told from the perspective of Katrina Von Tassel, who in the original Irving story and all of the movies since is Ichabod's love interest. But Katrina is a really comes from a really wealthy family in this little New England town. Um, she has a offer of marriage from Brom, who is her childhood friend, who has grown up to be like this terrible person who she doesn't like, but she doesn't want to marry him, um, even though her father is pressuring her to. When she meets Ichabod, who comes to town to Sleepy Hollow to be the new school teacher, she's immediately drawn to him. They have a lot in common. They become friends. It turns into a romance. And the romance turns into a lot of like sneaking off into the woods, if you get what I'm saying. Um, all while, like, while hoping that they're like, sexy times are not interrupted by the headless horseman because that's not that's not romantic <laughs> and then on halloween ichabod disappears and leaves katrina like alone and uh to like solve this mystery so she enlists the help of her friend whose name is charlotte who is rumored to be a witch and starts to investigate what's going on in the forest around sleepy hollow and where this man who she's really fallen for has gone um and it's got some like creepy uh sometimes magical investigative uh, stuff going on everything feels like it's like shrouded in 14 layers of mist and apple cider because that's how every book <laughs> set in new england feels um but i think it's got that tone that's like very seasonally appropriate and we'll scratch the specific itch that you're talking about so that's the spell book of katrina von tassel by Alyssa palumbo Nice. I picked The Rook by Daniel O'Malley, which is creepy AF and uh, trigger warning for graphic violence. It is the first in the Czechy files. Is that how you say that? I can never. There's so many things I don't know how to pronounce about this series, <laughs> including the main character's name, which I'm like 90% sure is supposed to be said Miffany, but I could be wrong. Uh, so Miffany Thomas. That's how I've said it in my head. Yeah, Miffany yeah, yeah. like Tiffany. Yeah, right. Exactly. Miffany like Tiffany. So Miffany is but it's Welsh. So it's spelled with lots of W's. Um, She wakes up with no memory. She's in a park in London, surrounded by dead bodies, all of whom are wearing latex gloves. And there's like a letter in her hand that says the body you are wearing used to be mine. So that's cool. Right. And so she discovers that whoever she was or is is a secret agent in an organization that, like, goes to work battling the supernatural forces in Britain. And she has a, like, potentially deadly supernatural ability. And she has no idea what she's doing, who anybody is. But so she's like, all right, well, I guess I'll go to work now at this super secret organization and just try to fake my way through this to figure out what the heck is going on, which just gives me hives thinking about it, quite frankly. Mm. But um, it felt like a little bit similar to the video game setup that you were describing, which also I need to play now. Uh, and so, so she meets all of these people in the secret society who have all kinds of bananas powers themselves. And there's some like messed up stuff like children are being trained to be deadly fighters and there's a huge conspiracy and it's very much a thriller a supernatural thriller but i felt like that like secret society battling supernatural ent entities there's wacky powers like it feels like it's gonna be in the same wheelhouse as what you're looking for and it is the first in a series there are more books in the series available now so you have that to look forward to so again that is the rook by daniel o'malley
And our next question is from Weatherly, who says, I recently read Convenience Store Woman and fell completely in love with it. The character was incredibly interesting to read about, but I think what I really loved was the everyday life in Japan aspect of it. It reminded me of another favorite, My Year of Meats by Ruth Ozeki, as well as A Tale for a Time Being. I loved how page-turnery these books were while still allowing space on the page to focus on the food, the sounds, and the intimate details of everyday life in places I don't live. Any recs like this, bonus points for more Asian authors in translation, though doesn't necessarily need to be Japanese. Double bonus for magical realism. What do you got, Amanda? Um, I picked Man by Kim Toy, which is translated by Sheila Fishman. Uh, and this is a book from a Vietnamese author. And it's a very quiet, short book. It's like 140 pages. And each chapter is told, they're like vignettes. So some chapters are like one single page and some of them are a little bit longer, but it's a really, really quick read. And it's about a woman named Man who was born in Vietnam. Her mother tried to escape uh, during the war and was shot. And so she has arranged for Man to be sent to Canada to marry a man who owns a Vietnamese restaurant um, in, I think, Montreal. And so she has never met this man before uh, and is sent over there by her mother. She marries him and then spends most of her time trying to deal with her feelings through food. So she's cooking these like really elaborate hours long to prepare kind of dishes in this Vietnamese restaurant uh, in order to like provoke memories of her childhood at home and her family who she misses. And like also to just occupy her time because she doesn't know this man and like has nothing in common with him. And then she she hits on some like commercial success. She ends up publishing a cookbook of her Vietnamese uh, recipes. Um, And while she's on tour, she goes to Paris and encounters a a married chef in Paris who she falls in love with and has like a fleeting um, affair with uh, and then has to kind of deal with the fallout of that. So there's a lot going on in like a rural tiny little package. Um, And while it isn't, I don't, I wouldn't say it's like slice of life of what it's like to grow up in Vietnam, but it is slice of life of Canada and like growing, not growing up, but the daily life of uh, grinding out a business when you're an immigrant in a place where maybe you don't speak the language necessarily, uh, or you like you have a a small community of people who come from the same place you do. um, But existing outside of that community is, is really, really difficult. And then like, what do you do with a man who you don't know and you're suddenly married to and are expected to build a whole life with um, in order to escape something that was terrible back home? So that's Man by Kim Toy and translated by Sheila Fishman. I went very dark with this <laughs> question. I think it's just because it's that kind of season. You didn't ask for like horror versions of this, but that's what I'm giving you. <laughs> I am giving you Revenge by Yoko Ogawa, translated by Steven Snyder, which comes with trigger warnings for body horror and graphic violence, which might be not what you're looking for. I don't know. But the reason I picked it is because I got hung up on this like idea of like everyday life plus something else and and then you said magical realism and my brain just like went off the rails um and revenge is a really dark like i said dark 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 and weird combination of things it's it's seven different characters who are all sort of linked together so it's not exactly short stories but it's not exactly a solid novel either it's somewhere in between and it starts with an aspiring writer who moves into a new apartment and then discovers that the landlady has murdered her husband and then like years later you jump forward in time and the writer's stepson is thinking about the writer and then there's a surgeon who's having an affair and a cabaret singer 
with like her heart is outside of her body. Um, and like all kinds of weird situations are happening. And each character is linked very specifically, uh, although not always in the same way, to the character previous. And like I said, it gets really dark and really graphic. It's been years since I read it, so I don't remember the specifics. I apologize. But it's like, it's, it's, I, I mean, I got through it, which is something. Um, but it was so compelling also because it was, I think what made it so effective was that marriage of like the mundane with the, the horror-y. Like, it's like really simple things. Like, moving into a new apartment or, you know, not great, but like having an affair or like going to work. But then there's something strange and different about that situation that then becomes, you know, the where the where the horror comes in. And I think it it definitely felt like these could have been perfectly normal lives except for the elements that Yoko Ogawa added to them to make them strange and uncanny. So I don't, again, I don't know if that's a direction you're interested in going in, but if it is, uh, Revenge by Yoko Ogawa, translated by Steven Snyder. All right. Our last question is from Lauren, who says, this has been a dud of a reading year for me. So I've been hoping to compile a list of books for the next year that I will love. Some of the books I've read this year and loved include With the Fire on High by Elizabeth Acevedo, The Gown by Jennifer Robson, The Astonishing Color of Ever After by Emily XR Pan, and The Girl in the Blue Coat by Monica Hesse. Okay, well, that's very specific. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It was really interesting trying to find like a through line of these books that you told us that you loved. And what Mm. I kind of landed on is like, teenage girls dealing with some stuff (laughs) like some really heavy stuff so i went with the miseducation of cameron post by emily m danforth um and this is not a newer book it came out i think uh 2012 but i don't see why that should matter easier to get a hold of i suppose um and it takes place in the 80s in montana it's a ya novel about a girl named cameron whose parents die in the first chapter of the book And she is sent to live with her aunt Ruth and her grandmother, both of whom are pretty old fashioned. Ruth specifically becomes very conservative as she gets involved in a new church in her town in Montana that's like very evangelical and conservative. Um, And Cameron herself is a lesbian. And when her parents were dying, like when they had the car crash, she was having her first kiss with a girl. So she's got some personal guilt wrapped up in in those two things happening at the same time. She keeps it a secret um, from her family and everyone else until she has a relationship with a girl named Kali who moves to town um, and Kali outs her after the relationship and they're caught by Kali's boyfriend. And Cameron's aunt sends her to a conversion therapy camp prison um in montana and so you're following cameron through that process and that experience it's it's not it's a very i mean obviously it's very very heavy um a lot of points in the book are difficult to get through uh but cameron is such such a like resilient character and you're you get so deep into her her like internal monologue and her psychology which is really fascinating to me and the way that she does relate her um, sexuality with the death of her parents and how she has to learn to untangle those things and while she's trying to learn to untangle those things and like get rid of the shame that she has in herself people around her because it's a conversion therapy camp are very actively trying to get her to feel more ashamed of herself so she's got this huge conflict going on and she goes in to this camp of course knowing that it's nonsense but she's also a child and like they're abusive these camps are are horrible um, are horrible because they do still exist and so like watching her survive and like make friends and refuse to be cowed by that kind of abuse is 
such a oh, gosh, it's just like right in the right in the feels, like all your feels, your heart, your gut, like all of your feels will will be affected by this book. So that's the Miseducation of Cameron Post by Emily M. Danforth. Yeah, girls figuring out some stuff plus maybe history. So I picked The Magnolia Sword by Sherry Thomas, which came out this year and I don't feel like I saw nearly enough people talking about it because it is a Mulan retelling from Sherry Thomas. Is there anything I wanted more in this world? No, there is not. <laughs> like it's amazing and it's not supernatural at all, which is an interesting choice and I think worked really well. It's like a straight up like martial arts historical fiction set in, you know, China in like 484. It's amazing. So, you know the story of Mulan, right? Like, I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure everybody knows the story of Mulan, but like, mm-hmm. basically she's the, you know, only heir to her father. Um, oh, but this is this is different. So, the twist that she did is that there's this duel every generation between Mulan's family and this other family. And it's like, it's this long-running blood feud. It's, you know, ruined lives and destroyed you know marriages and like etc etc but it's really intense but every generation is honor bound to fight this duel and there are these precious swords that have been separated and so her goal is to win the duel and like get back the sword and avenge her father who was paralyzed by fighting in the duel and then you know the emperor's messenger arrives demanding that everybody send a soldier to fight the invaders this is the story that you already know um and so she like goes she joins the army as a man because they would not let her in if she was a woman but she's the only one in the family who can do it And so she's both fighting a, like, actual war and then caught up in this age-old rivalry. And she has been battling, like, sort of doing training duels with the heir from the other family for a long time and, like, feels a connection to this person who she's never seen. Like, they only ever meet at night. They have, like, masks on. They don't really know each other. But she has felt a connection to this person through their duels, their practice duels. And so is, like, kind of confused, but also, like, you know, is ready to, like, take up the family fight. And this is all about her sort of unpacking all of this baggage, this family baggage, plus, you know, trying to like pose as a man in an army and like not let, you know, China get invaded. Like there's a lot going on here. And it's so good. And Mulan in this is so she's a really skilled fighter. Like there's one episode where she literally cracks a guy's jaw with a walnut thrown from across the room. Like she's a total badass. Uh, And it's amazing. But she like, you know, she has to deal with other weaknesses that she has and vulnerabilities. It's just fantastic. Fantastic. It's so good. It's so, so good. I loved it so much. The characters are great. The action is amazing. The pacing is fantastic. And I feel like Sherry Thomas, like, really added some fascinating layers to this story that, you know, a lot of us are already familiar with the Disneyfied version of it, right? So this is like a way better version, quite frankly. Uh, so again, that is The Magnolia Sword by Sherry Thomas. Be a man. <laughs> I know. I did have a lot of the songs stuck in my head while I was reading it. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> that song is so good. That whole thing, that whole like part of the movie is so good. Anyway, we don't have to talk about that. Mm-hmm. And that's our show. Wahoo. Thank you all for listening. Please go leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you to our sponsors for sponsoring the show. You can find us on social media. I am on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. 
And I'm on Twitter as Jen IRL, Jen with two N's, IRL, and on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And we will talk to you all next week. <laughs>